Welcome to another episode of the Real Life Theology Podcast. This new series, Rhythms, explores the different rhythms of life and faith. I'm your host, Matthew Croson, and in today's episode, we dive into the theme of living in community and the power of forgiveness, focused on the horizontal rhythm. Our guests, Daniel McCoy and Andrew Jitt, will be sharing their personal experiences and insights on these topics. Get ready for eye-opening stories and practical strategies on how to navigate relationships with people of different worldviews and the transformative power of forgiveness. So without further ado, let's jump right into today's episode of Rhythms. Another have another rhythm, you know, how to live in community. Uh, what's one of your favorite insights from this chapter? How to live in community. Yeah, I love what we've wrote. Imagine Adam telling God who's created Eve, thanks anyway. That's what many Christians do when they keep their church relationships superficial. And that really resonated, Daniel, what you wrote there of saying, yeah, it's so easy to just create the surface. How are you? The, the road answer is I'm fine, even though my marriage is struggling, my kids hate me, I'm about to lose my job and, you know, I'm struggling with anger. But we'll just say, hey, when we're passing by in conversation, I'm fine. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's leaning into that truth that we are built for community. We see it in the Trinity. It was God's idea. You know, he said it was not good for man to be alone. And so the idea is, how do we create good community, healthy community? You know, and and in the previous chapter, talking about the habits, it's community that will help us. We can't just do things on our own. You know, even when you look at what what the author of Hebrews says, you know, let's spur one another on in, in chapter 12. And in chapter 11, we have this great hall of faith you know, of people have gone before us and championed on the faith. That's what we do for other people as well. And so it's going, how do we understand that we're made for community, but how do we live in healthy community it was really a great point that you lead into well. So for you, what does community mean? Yeah. I mean, it means a lot of frustration. It, it means a lot of, why aren't people more like, me or or align more with my preferences or align more with my theological bent. You know, there's a lot of frustration within the community. And I just think that that's one of the biggest ways that God helps us to grow. You know, we don't become more loving by being around people that are always lovable. Uh, We don't become more compassionate by being around people that never have anything bad happen. So it's one of the biggest ways God helps us to grow but I think it's also one of the biggest ways that God shows us himself. The Imago Dei could not be contained in one type of person. You know, there's just an incredible diversity at all levels. And I think this is a beautiful way of God showing us himself as well as, you know, growing us, which is just a beautiful thing. And, and speaking of growing us, the, the rhythm, how to suffer well, I just want to take a moment on that one, man, this chapter, um, it was it was written, I believe. I mean, you're like, I think I have a story I'd like to add into this. Um, and, and you know, because we we'd already kind of put it together. We mapped it out. But then there was one additional story that you wanted to add in there. And man, it makes it makes the chapter. Could you kind of expound on uh, your story as as it fits into how to suffer well? Yeah, so I'm guessing it's the one where I lost the use of my hand. Is that mm-hmm. the one? You- yeah. 
So yeah, crazy story. When I was around high school age, so 14-ish, um, was involved in, in a bunch of kids' camps and we, it was a terrible camp, right? We lost, I think a third of our kids went home because they were sick and struggling. And so just ended up cleaning um, bathrooms. And at the end of that week, I just couldn't use my right hand, which was truly scary, right? Going, how do I do this? Like, how do I do life with just one hand? And I know many people live with disabilities, but I was like, how did this happen? And so I ended up going to the ER and they're like, oh, it's probably just because he overworked it. And that kind of led to the pain just not going away. And then eventually the pain started spreading to other parts of my body, had a couple of heart attacks where I just couldn't breathe. And so that was scary. So they put me in a hospital. I'm not sure what's going on. At this stage, I'm popping about 30 pills a day that doctors were trying to relieve pain and figure out what's going on. 16 specialists, right? I'm, I'm hanging out with and no one could determine what was wrong. And so we decided to seek out just any source of medical treatment over the three months of like after MRIs and CAT scans and pills and doctors and were able to find a naturopath who was able to help me just clean out my system essentially and flood me out of a lot of chemicals that were interacting and shutting down my body. And so, you know, with not being able to use my right arm for three months after a week of treatment, I was able to write an essay. And it was really crazy when I look back at that time, because people are like, you can't use your hand. I mean, my mum had to kind of clothe me. My friends had to put my socks on me, which is really humbling when they have to come over and put, you know, your socks on and get you ready for school just because I was debilitated. But, you know, through that time, people would go, were you scared? And I look back and go, no. I mean, I know God had it, you know, and when I look back of when it took place, it was just after my baptism, you know, where I really surrendered my life to Christ and said, yes, like I'm all in for King Jesus. And then I go through this deal, which really, truly made me stronger, you know, and I saw a different side of the church where the elders would come and pray and lay hands on and anoint me with oil that we read about in scripture. And I had different community and people praying for me. And it just really allowed me to go and understand, yes, we are going to go through tough things. And then my Romans 8, 28 moment from this was God working all things out together for the good of those who love him was when I became a youth past. And I had two young boys in my ministry that were diagnosed with a very rare form of cancer within about a week of each other. And it was just kind of crazy because it was like this cancer is one in 30,000 people get it. Extremely rare odds. And then for both of these brothers to suffer at this whole time. And I remember I'd go to and just sit with them in the hospital, you know, and they'd ask for me to come because I like, Andrew, you went through something crazy that we had no idea, you know, you had no control over. This is where we are today. And it was just Again, that Romans 8, 28 moment of God using suffering as a way of saying, again, I could say, woe to me, look at me, but I was able to use that time as a way to bless these kids in my youth group and to help them see the goodness and the grace of God in the worst possible situation. And so that, yeah, we added that as a late addition. 
And I remember you going like, what in the world did you go through? But again, it was just part of my story. And that's why, again, we want people to understand your past and your present show up in your future. And if you're open to God and being used by God, he'll use it in incredible ways. And it was kind of funny because when we got to that story, as I was reading it through with my girls, I'm like, dad, we had no idea. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, well, here's a perfect opportunity for me to share that story with them. Yeah, a song that comes to mind that we sing at our church. And when I, when I was just at Ozark, they sing it at the chapel there. A beautiful song called The Goodness of God. And there's a verse, a verse two, it just really struck me. It's like, man, and this is what that chapter is all about, you know, how to suffer well. It says, I love your voice. You have led me through the fire. In darkest night, you are close like no other. I've known you as a father. I've known you as a friend, and I have lived in the goodness of God. There's a lot we could say about how to suffer well, but I think that's a big one. In darkest night, God is close like no other. If if we pause and seek him, and even in those moments, I think um, I think we'll find the goodness of God. Absolutely. And the snapshot that we have just beautifully encapsulates that truth so well of someone who, again, wanted to use their life for a kingdom cause and just had to suffer, but through the midst of that suffering, saw the goodness and the grace and the love of God in such a beautiful way as well. And so that just culminated, you know, the the beautiful, you know, full stop on that whole chapter of going, yes, what does that look like? And then the strategies again, because suffering is something that we're going to do. Jesus told us we're going to have trouble. We're going to have hardship. So I love this chapter because it's a look back, but also a preparedness to saying, hey, how do we walk through this well as well? And that's what many of the chapters do. You know, we're talking about, again, these horizontal relationships. And one of the chapters in, in the rhythms is how do we connect with people of a different worldview? Why is that so important today more than ever before? Yeah. Um, you know, I think that, for one thing, it's it's actually fun. <laughs> I think people need to know that. It, it can be a lot of fun to meet somebody that that is of a different worldview and to genuinely take an interest in that person and to you know ask questions, not because you're trying to get to a gotcha, but just to genuinely get to know people and, and have those relationships in which trust is built. And yes, take them to Jesus in a in a in the context of we've become friends. We've, we've come to trust each other. So it's actually quite fun. It's not as intimidating as, as people would think. I mean, it's incredibly important, you know, make disciples of all the nations and all the cultures. And I was connecting with a, one of our writers at Renew uh, the other day, his name uh, is Bob and Bob Turner is an amazing writer. And uh, he preaches in, at a church in Memphis, which is a majority black um, city. His church is majority white in a majority black city. And he, he was preaching the sermon. He was telling me about the sermon. He's preaching a sermon on how the church has to have and be guided by a heavenly vision. And the part of that vision has to be racial reconciliation. You got, you know, Revelation seven, verse nine, multitude, and all can count every nation, tribe, tongue, people, language. It's got, it's got to have that as part of its of its vision. And he was 
he was talking in the sermon about how, you know, some people might say, well, look, all that really matters is that you do evangelism. You don't really need to connect with people of a, of a different culture or ethnicity. You, you don't really need to try to, you know, build that. Just try to get them to Jesus, just evangelize. And he says, well, about that. He says the only way that a majority white church in a majority black city is ever going to be able to evangelize anybody is if trust is built. That has to be foundational. And so we have to be able to connect with people if evangelism is ever to be even an option. So huge, hugely important rhythm, how to connect with people of a different uh, worldview. How, what are your thoughts on that one? Well, and again, I love what you said. It's about connecting with people, right? So again, we're not telling the readers to go off into make this a to-do list, but it's opening your eyes to what's around you. You know, and we live in this incredibly diverse uh, world where it's so easy to go from one culture, one language, you know, jump on a plane. And again, you're in a whole different setting and the nations are coming to us here in America, you know, and so we've got to create platforms and opportunities to present the gospel. And that's not going to be just, you know, giving them the word and then leaving them. But no, it's about building that relationship, you know, and if you look at the very essence of how you make a disciple, it's about journeying with them. It's about that relationship and living life with people. But if we're not willing to engage them, who will? You know, in a sad status, so many international students come to college campuses here in the U.S. and they never step foot in a U.S. home. You know, and I remember even talking to one university and they were like, I was like, oh, so where's this gentleman staying? And, you know, they were from another country and they're like, oh, we just basically put those, all the international students in this one part. And I'm like, why? Why are we isolating them? Why not integrate them more? But we've got to be willing to take that step, which like you said, Daniel, it's fun. It's beautiful learning different languages, cultures norms, traditions, you know, the way things are. Because again, it's celebrating the diversity of God. He's this global God that, as you alluded to, he made different nations, tribes, peoples, languages. And we get to be a part of it. And we get a glimpse of heaven down here on earth as we see these different ethnicities and different worldviews coming into our lives. And we get to step into that with a biblical worldview. And so I'd encourage anyone to just take a stock of, you know, who's around them in their neighborhoods, in their cities. How can they lean into that? I remember in our community, we would gather amongst a distinct people group from Africa. And once a year, our church and their fellowship of those from this country would gather together for a time. and we uh, fundamentally opposed in our religious views, but there was a beautiful time where we could come together and we would pray and they would pray to their God, you know, but it was just a celebration of going, we're humanity and we come together. And although we believe different things, although we look differently, we're all under one umbrella, understanding that humanness together. And that was just fun. And so I don't encourage anyone to say, how can you lean into, again, who God has made you? You're blessed to be a blessing. 
how can you bless those that may look different, sound different, you know, or be different and just engage in a fun way. Yeah. At the beginning of that chapter, we talk about, you know, what is kind of like the worst sin that I, that a person could commit. And, uh, you know, we talk about some of the, some of the candidates for worse sin, you know, you've got pride seen as the root of all sin. Augustine said that you got the bla- blasphemy, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Um, sexual immorality seems to head a lot of lists, uh, a lot of vice lists. Jesus was up against a lot of persistent unfaithfulness that he really called out and, you know, as, as being very eternally detrimental. But kind of what we land on is that the things that made Jesus the most upset were when the people who felt like they were insiders were putting layers between other people and God. You know, you've got the temple, you know, the money changers and kind of turning it into a business when it was supposed to be a place for the nations to come and meet God, just cluttering up the way to God. And, and so we, we take that as kind of a springboard to say, you know, the, probably the worst thing that we could do, question of, you know, greatest, greatest sin is a great question, great, you know, that theological question kind of aside, at least I think the most cruel thing that we could probably do based upon Jesus' reaction is put layers between people and God. We've got to clear those layers out of the way and we need to really truly connect with people uh, who don't share a worldview. It's the most loving thing we could probably do. Absolutely. Well, and leaning into that, one of the chapters and the rhythms we encourage is how to forgive people. So what does that look like for you? Yeah. Um, I'm, as far as a key insight from that rhythm of how to forgive, I think a lot of it comes back to habits of patience, you know, and, and the everyday annoyances, trying to breathe and and try to you know receive god's grace in advance so that i could give that uh so much of it has to do with giving what we've received been given forgiveness so freely you've been given freely freely give and so forgiveness grace patience all those things that he gives us over abundance our cup runneth over uh, we need to be giving those on a daily basis in habits of patience. And if we do that, I think, I think that's the way to become a a truly forgiving person. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that one? Well, yeah, leaning into the grace idea, you know, spoke cooler about Ephesians 2.10, right? Understanding who we are and who God has made us to be in Ephesians 2 verse 8, the couple of verses for Ephesians 2.10, God says, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith, right? It's this gift from God. You know, not of yourself, so that no one can boast. That's the reality we need to live in, understanding that we have been forgiven much, right? You know, just beginning of this year, we've started a new Bible reading plan. My family, we're all reading through the same chapter each day. It's a Old Testament chapter, a New Testament. And I just love the reminder of, of the beginningness, right, of the Garden of Eden, how we created you know, and then a couple of chapters later, after God says it's very good, everything that he's made and rested, you know, we then see the fall of man and how fragile we are left to our own ways. And then we see, you know, Cain and Abel and the destruction of sin that it has. And then we get to chapter six, where God's heart is grieved that he's made mankind. It's one of the saddest verses in the, in the Genesis narrative of just saying, wow. 
Look at what God had created in chapter one and by chapter six, his heart is grieved that he's even made us. And so it's getting back to understanding that we have been forgiven much, therefore we should forgive. You know, and like you said, it takes grace, it takes patience, it takes that agape, unconditional love, you know, not only for ourselves, but more importantly to those around us. You know, and when you look at even Jesus, when he was on the cross, what did he cry out? Father, forgive them. And that wasn't a, a one-time utterance. It was a continued utterance that he had the whole time up there of just speaking love and truth to those around him. So that's a great chapter to lean into. Some great strategies to say, again, how do I make forgiveness just part of my everyday rhythm and how I live out my faith? I had a lot of fun um, getting to teach a philosophy class recently. And at part of philosophy class, I was able to, at times, take the other side, kind of like pretend to be the skeptic or the atheist or whatever. And so since I have been good, this whole conversation, I've been good and Christian and everything, I'm going to take a moment and be devil's advocate. Okay. Now, this isn't what I really believe, but I'm going to go ahead and kind of take that other side here. Isn't forgiveness... Isn't that basically being a doormat and and enabling more of the same? You know, isn't isn't forgiveness something ultimately, I know it sounds nice and everything, but ultimately it's going to just be a green light to whatever the person is is doing. Absolutely. Yeah. And so it's understanding what forgiveness is, but also we lean into what forgiveness isn't. And that's, you know, again, a mark of what I love because, you know, each chapter as we're leaning into it, we say, well, what does it look like if we don't develop this habit versus what does it look like if we do? And so I think that's a strength as I'm walking through the study section to be able to understand there are two deals on the table. We can lean into this rhythm or we can choose to, you know, live it out. And so it's going right. How does that play out in our everyday life? And so, I mean, as a, as a Christian, would you say that forgiveness is more than just being a dorm? Like what, what is it? What isn't it? I guess. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's understanding who we are in Christ. That's where I, when I look at forgiveness, it always goes back to the cross in the, in the depth that God was willing to go through in order to make us right with him. And forgiveness allow, I think every time we forgive, there's a vertical element, but there's also a horizontal and an internal change, right? So the vertical makes us right because we're living according to what God has called us. The vertical is key, but then the horizontal allows us to live in community and in the way in which we are, where we can be truthful, and transparent and allow grievances to be put to death, you know, allowing the frustration or the pain to go, we're going to leave that alone because that's not healthy for us to linger in and to hold on to. And then that helps transform us, the internal rhythm, to be healthier in who we are, but ultimately learning from those mistakes. So that's how I define it. Yeah, that's good. And I would, I would add, and now I'm not being devil's advocate. This is back to being me. I would, I, what, what just happened? Oh my goodness. I would, I would add as well. And this is something we talk about in the, in the chapter that forgiveness 
does include hating evil. Your forgiveness is actually not passively saying, ah, no big deal. You know, biblically, I think forgiveness is saying, look, evil is truly evil. And when it happens, I, I, I grieve it, but it is saying, even though I hate evil and I, I grieve when it happens, I'm not, I'm not going to hold on to anger. I'm going to let go of anger and I'm going to let go of wrath because wrath belongs to God. He's the only one that can really do that. And I believe, I truly believe that if we want to move the needle when it comes to somebody who does wrong us, I, I do believe that the only way isn't to show wrath. Because if, if we respond in revenge, that just perpetuates the cycle. It gives them uh, an excuse for, hey, well, obviously this is a bad person because look at what they've done. And then it just kind of keeps cycling. There's a forgiveness, I believe, you know, at the same time as, as hating evil because to love God and love what is good is to hate what is evil. Hating evil, you know, grieving evil, and yet, and at the same time, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna keep angry. I'm not gonna, I'm gonna not gonna take revenge. I think that's the best chance we have of actually moving the needle for somebody. I think, I think because grace is what changed us. So, I think leaning into that understanding, forgiveness isn't cheap, right? True forgiveness yeah. is going to cost yeah. us. And it's whether we're willing to engage in that or not, because it costs God everything. It costs him his son, right? And so understanding the magnitude that it isn't just a, oh, I forgive you. You know, it's not cheap. Genuine forgiveness will really cost us heavily. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, good. Okay. Another, another rhythm. We're kind of getting a little closer to the end of the book. How to disciple people, how to make a disciple. Want to hear your thoughts on this? At Renew, we use the language of disciple making a lot. Why? Why is that language so important? And maybe what's what's kind of the alternative that we're saying? Hey, this isn't quite this isn't quite the bullseye. We need to be making disciples. Why? Why that distinction? Well, again, we lean back into scripture and the truth, right? Jesus gave the church, the bride, us, his marching orders to go and make disciples of all nations. So I use the language, it's what we were called, created, commanded, and commissioned to do. So I believe if you are a Jesus believer, then making disciples is just a natural part of your life. So leaning into the truth of who God is, and again, what Jesus has entrusted for us to do, right? We read about it in Romans 10, one of my favorite passages, that we're called to have beautiful feet that take the good news, right? So we proclaim God's word, but it doesn't just stop there, right? It's not just evangelism. Disciple making is not only sharing the word of God, but it's in entering into a relationship with people, which is so key. Because when we're making a disciple, it's not a one and done deal, right? It's not the baptism that is the disciple making. That's part of the journey. But it's then, as Jesus taught us in the Great Commission, go make disciples. How do we do it? By baptizing them, absolutely, giving them a new identity in Christ through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. But then he goes on to say, and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. 
It doesn't say to send them to church, right? To get them into a small group. No, but teaching them. Well, how are we going to teach them if they're left to their own device? We need to be coming alongside them and walking in relationship with them and coaching them, mentoring them, spurring them on to that day of completion. So in their sanctification process, they've got a spiritual guide that is a few steps ahead. Now, it doesn't mean you have to know absolutely everything because no one does unless you're Daniel McCoy. But for the rest of us, right, it's just about living life in relationship, in community, and helping them figure things out as we figure them out. And I think that's a, it can be an overwhelming task, right? You look at the world today, 3.4 billion people unreached, right? Never heard the name of Jesus. So yeah, we've got a lot of work to do as the bride of Christ. But before we even look at those big numbers, first, we need to ask ourselves, are we being a disciple worth multiplying? How are we living as a disciple, right? In a deeper relationship with King Jesus. So understanding what that means and a great definition that we use at Renew all the time is it's someone who's following Jesus, being changed by Jesus and living on mission for Jesus. And that's really what a disciple is. Again, making this decision right every day, two deals on the table. Are we going to follow Jesus or are we going to follow the world? Are we going to live in the word, you know, or allow the world to dictate how we function and how we operate and our worldviews? So making that conscious decision daily to be a follower of Jesus and then allowing his truth, his spirit, the community around us to change us, right? Allowing his Holy Spirit to be the loudest voice in our lives as we live through life. And then as a natural result, we're going to be on mission for him. And what was that? To make disciples. And that is this relational component where we live out that we're blessed right to have heard the gospel message so we want to bless others with the truth of who god is and that's why i love that a pillar of renew is all about disciple making about relational deliberate intentional relationships with other people so for you daniel how does that live out in your everyday life yeah what well, i met a lot of people i've talked with a lot of people who They've been baptized and it was exciting. And a few months later, they're like, I don't know if anything really changed. You know, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know that it took. And I just think that it's so important for those people that we adopt the lifestyle of disciple making because baptism should not be, okay, you, you did it. Congratulations. You, you made it. Uh, here's a Bible. And, you know, make sure you try to read your Bible and, and live well and, uh, and come to church. You know, that's a recipe for guilt. Uh, within a few months, that person's going to be like, I'm not so, I'm not really sure. If, I believe baptism really needs to be an invitation into a disciple-making relationship. If, it, if they're not already part of one, I think, I think obviously the, the ideal is that you're discipling people up to that point and then discipling them after. But yeah, when people are baptized, it should be an invitation to a discipling relationship because that's, like you said, that's the biblical way. We're not making up a new idea. Like this is the biblical path of, of disciple making. So, well, and again, I love the snapshot that we have from Zimbabwe Denford, who yeah. is a phenomenal disciple maker. 
but he, he traces it back to friendship of those that have already discipled him. And sometimes it happens very intentionally. Hey, I've been asked by several people, can you disciple me? But a lot of times it just happens organically. And it's like, oh, that's really what I've been doing in my walk with you and my friendship as we've kind of dug deeper. And so it's being mindful of those vertical relationships, you know, that are being lived out horizontally, you know, that God puts those people in our place, you know, that we can help and spur on and challenge to grow, which is truly exciting, you know, and, and I always believe this, and I, I use this quote a lot, the degree to which we follow that command, follow me, determines the depth and the direction of our lives. Mm -hmm. Are we willing to really follow Jesus? Because if we are, then he will put people in our path that we can then spur and challenge to grow deeper in their faith and live it out as a disciple maker. And that's what's beautiful. I mean, we're just continuing on the pattern that Jesus gave the disciples, that the disciples gave the early church, that the early church gave to the members of the church. And here we are today, standing on the shoulders of those that have gone before us. Mm -hmm. It's just beautiful how God's plan works using fragile, you know, sinners like us for his grace and for his goodness to advance around the world. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Rhythms. We hope you found inspiration and practical wisdom in the conversation about living in community and the power of forgiveness. We want to give a special thanks to our guests, Daniel McCoy and Andrew Jitt, for sharing their personal stories and insights their perspectives have truly enriched my understanding of these important topics. And I'm excited to unpack this further in the coming episodes. Now, if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and don't forget to leave us a review. Your feedback helps us improve and reach more listeners. And if you know of someone that would be interested in listening to this, or if you know of someone who would be blessed by this conversation, please share this episode with them. Now, until next time, keep embracing the rhythms of life, living in community, and extending forgiveness to each other. Take care, and see you guys soon.